There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Travel Talks. Now, today we're going to be talking to Chris Ramsey, a British adventurer and Guinness World Record holder with over a decade of electric vehicle adventures. Yes, exactly. And his adventures are absolutely incredible, some of which consist of John O'Groats to Land's End and back in 2015, Edinburgh to Monte Carlo in just 60 hours. And he was the first person to ever complete the 10,000-mile Mongol Rally in an electric car. Some incredible adventures, but his next one is perhaps even more impressive, driving from one end of the world to the other, 17,000 miles pole to pole, which we're going to talk about in this episode. I'm really into electric cars because I've got one myself. So I've been following his adventures over the years. It's going to be great to chat to him and get into the details of some of these unbelievable, challenging and epic adventures. And as someone who knows a little bit less about electric cars than Saunders and Chris, I'm excited to learn about how far he can really push them. And you know what, Saunders, maybe even convince me to get an electric car as my next vehicle. Love it. Let's get into it. We have such a negative impression of how people are in these countries and me based on what it was in the media at that time. Nothing to be scared of. The people were lovely and just as kind as what we are. That country is by far, for me, the most underrated country going. It was at that point, it was quite cool because my wife turned to me at that point and went, you know what, we can do anything now, we've just done that. The simplest thing I always say to people is the the boundary to going electric is not the cars, it's us. Mm. It's our Mm. brains, it's our minds. It's as simple as that. Chris, welcome to the Travel Talks podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. How are things going? Yeah, things are going good. Thanks. Thanks to you guys for having me on, Saunders, Alex. Yeah, looking forward to having a chat um, and reminiscing about old travels as well and not just the new stuff I've been doing. But yeah, things are good. Um, enjoying enjoying life as much as you know we can in these days. But yeah, uh, having a great time, really enjoying things and obviously great. I'm able to announce my project just not long ago. So it's exciting times. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Yeah, we're going to get into your adventures very shortly. But first, the big question that we ask everyone on the podcast, and it couldn't really get any bigger. What does travel mean to you? <laughs> travel means, well, I think it's pretty much a simple thing. It is my life. I love travel. And whether it's whether it's just the simple things of going out and traveling locally or going abroad, it's, it's really cool because when you go take yourself out of your normal environment you're just so much more peaceful and you're disconnected from our social media world and and everything that's going on around you and you just are so much more chilled and relaxed so it it means a lot to me definitely helps me get through my life so let's start by talking about like, plug-in adventures as, as the, you know, yeah. the the title the thing that embodies everything that, that you're about tell us what is it and why did you start it plug-in adventures really to be honest with you started by accident and if and in truth i my my previous career i used to work in the oil and gas industry and i i whenever i talk on podcasts i always make that clear because it's not something i hide mm-hmm. and i live i grew up in the oil and gas capital of europe so it's pretty much what you did and 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 I was at work one day researching and I and an advert popped up for an electric car. And I thought, electric cars? What's that all about? <laughs> Surely that's not yeah, no, they don't they don't work, surely. Um and it was and it was a Nissan, and I thought, right, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and have a look. And my my mindset is very much like if I want to understand something, I just throw myself in and kind of go and you know, go and understand it and, and really push it. Got this car, I got the Nissan Leaf, I borrowed it from a showroom, um, a car dealer and I drove all UK, all the UK capital cities in a little road trip. I just devised myself a little road trip, shared it on social media, and people 
just loved it because they saw an electric car at that time when there was about 60 chargers mm. in the entire country being put through into a real world situation. And also somebody saying, this is an absolute nightmare, but it's also really cool. Um, mm. And then, cause I shared it, people kind of said, yeah, this is really cool. We really enjoyed that. Can you do some more? And that's where plugin adventures came. I thought, well, let's go and do some adventures or road trips. And well, what we did, well, we're plugging in. So let's just call it plugin adventures and we'll go and do that. And I used to just do that periodically over weekends or holidays or whatever. And then it became an obsession into what it is today. I've, I've done stuff with Formula E. I've done stuff with the BBC um, and various different TV networks, radio networks, um, and advised people on their own electric road trips. And then just basically did interviews to educate people around electric mobility. So it's kind mm. of a, an, a media agency stroke consultancy that kind of works with other brands, works with brands and agencies to kind of get their messages across around electric mobility. Awesome. And I want to keep us going on the inception of the brand right at the start of the idea. I want to understand when the idea was just in its early stages, mm. what made you start dreaming of these crazy adventures, which you've gone on to achieve later down the line? I, I guess it's me. It's it's just my mindset. Um, I, I think people that that know me, can kind of gather that I don't do anything by halves. I don't do the simple thing. Um, and, and, and it was just when I, when I did that, that, that weekend road trip, like kind of, uh, three capitals, I just thought, what could I do next? And then it was kind of looking at various things. And I always, I've always had a hankering. I always like the Guinness world record. I've always had a thing about Guinness world records from a kid growing up with Roy Castle and the TV show mm-hmm. and the show my age. Um, and, <laughs> you know, so I kind of looked at that and just went, right, okay, what could I do? And, and things like John O'Groats to Land's End came up because there's loads of records around that. So me and a friend did John O'Groats to Land's End. And then mm-hmm. probably the one that was kind of maddest was it was around Formula E. London Formula E was doing it. It was his last um, race in, in, in London at that time. And a mate of mine said, look, I've got some tickets. Shall we go? And I was like, yeah, let's go to, let's go to Formula E. And I said, but can we do it my way? I really like Monaco and the Formula One circuit. So I'd never, been, <laughs> I, I'd never been into Europe. I'd never driven a car into Europe, an electric car into Europe. And I thought, I want to go and test what it's like because people say it's not possible and it's a nightmare. And so I thought, right, I'm going to go and test going into Europe. But let's go to Monaco. Let's do a lap of the circuit and then get back to mm-hmm. London, do London Formula, and then we'll come back up. So Edinburgh to Monte Carlo to London to Edinburgh in 60 hours in a first-generation BMW i3, which is about 60, 70 miles, that came to life. And um, and he's never invited me to anything else ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's genuine. He Amazing. never has. <laughs> Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about that that trip again in a little in a bit more detail in a second. But I just want to go back. You said about people know you for not doing things in halves, and I kind of want to understand where the root of that is. You know, where does this passion for you know adventure and this really interesting travel come from? I think it's a combination of things because I because I do love travel, and and I guess since I've got involved in, and got involved in electric cars and got really fascinated by the whole technology and, and how it all works. I guess I've just really wanted to push it. I've just, it's my, my brain just tells me to push things further, push things further, push myself further, mm. push the technology further. And I think it's because a lot of people just don't think it's possible. A lot of people, uh, there's a lot of negative impressions out there in, in the media. So from my perspective is my brain just tells me to overcome that because I know the capabilities of the technology. So I want to kind of educate people around that. So I think my mindset is always very much about going further, pushing myself and pushing, pushing the technology, um, uh, at most. I, I just, it's a really, really weird one for me to explain because as a child, I was never like this. If I go mm. back to my childhood, I was, I was never you know, like this. I'd never, was never out climbing mountains or had ambitions to be Guinness world record holder or a TV presenter or whatever it be. I never had any of that. And, and it's just really came about since I discovered electric cars. And, I, mm. and I, so I kind of think it's my thirst for wanting to share my knowledge around the technology that I think that fuels most of it. That's fascinating. That's a really interesting way of going, of uh, sort of becoming that person. That's that's mm. really, really interesting. We're going to get onto some of the adventures that you've been on in a little bit, <laughs> because they are, just for to tease the listeners, they are absolutely <laughs> incredible, if not completely bonkers at the same time. <laughs> and we're really excited to get into the details and kind of hear your experiences so let's talk about that one that's already come up the edinburgh to monte carlo that's two and a half thousand miles that you did in 60 hours in an electric car 
usually an unfathomable <laughs> thought for a lot of people. Tell us about it. How was that trip? Yeah, it, it was. It was pretty cool. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, uh, I have a I have some kind of aptitude for driving, and I will never condone driving long distances on as a, as an individual on your own. Everything I do, any endurance drives I do with a co-driver i always have that with me but i i have i just have this ability to be able to just drive and not really care mm. if i've got music with me i i would drive to the other side of the planet and come back again the next day it doesn't bother me <laughs> so but so when we when we planned when i planned the, the with a friend the the bmw trip we we went into everything was going smooth in the uk the charging network was great but in in france it was an unknown because i'd never driven abroad this was my first drive abroad um, outside of the UK. So we, I planned a charging network in France and we kind of went through and we thought this is going to be great. We'll go. And what we didn't realize was in France, the motorway networks are good, but they're not like they are here in the UK. If so, we were driving down one of the, one of the motorways, for example, and the charger, the charging location was on the left-hand side of the motorway. Mm -hmm. We we're on the right-hand side. And we're like, uh, how do we get across the road? Because there's no flyover. We've got to drive 20 miles down the road or pretty much 10, 15 miles down the road to turn around and come back. So we were quite naughty and we, he noticed there was a, um, a basically a, a service flyover and it was, I think it's used for, I think he was saying it's used for the, the, the uh, ambulance and police and type vehicles. Yeah. We basically nipped up across the motorway on that. <laughs> but then when we got to the other side, we couldn't find a way to get to the petrol station. We saw it, but we couldn't get to it. And there was a dirt track. So we drove down a dirt track. And then there was a the dirt track ended, but the petrol station was on the left side of us up on a little crest. So I literally just drove and it's done now. So the dealership <laughs> wouldn't have a problem, but we drove, I drove this BMW i3 up this, up this hill and popped it over the bank into a, um, into a car park. So people in the car park were standing there and like looking and this BMW i3 just pops over the hill into this petrol Can station. You imagine? And, and we just drove up and plugged in. It was but it's, it's, it's what we did. I mean, it's, it's, but that was like that. And and then we went to the next service station. We're thinking, great, everything's going good. We've got a charge, go to the next service station to find out the charge has been wiped out by a truck. So that was a bit yeah. of a challenge. But after that, it was pretty smooth sailing. The yeah. only disappointment was we got about 30 minutes in Monte Carlo. That was it. Oh, really? We literally did the circuit. We got the car in charge and he was like, right, we've got to go. And I'm like, oh. I want to stay. I love it here. So that was a disappointment, but you know, the whole trip was, was great fun because as you know, as, as well as I do Saunders, when you go to a Formula E race, it's just, it's just a spectacular experience. And, and that was my first ever Formula E when we got to London. So that, that was, that was a real eye opener for me and, and I loved it. I slept really well that night. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. So there's some sketchy moments from the trip, climbing over the motorway <laughs> to the other side. But let's hear about some highlights or some positive moments from that trip. I think the best highlight was actually coming into Monte Carlo because you've got that tunnel. Mm. When you go through the tunnel and then Monte Carlo opens up and you go into the streets of Monte Carlo, that was that was really cool because I just think it's a fascinating city. Outside of you know the the glitz, the glamour, the and and, and everything that it is there, it's just, I just think Monaco is a fun, yeah, fun, you know, fantastic city. So driving into there in a BMW i3 and all these Ferraris and everything, Lamborghinis are going around and we're in this little <laughs> i3 and people have got their heads turned looking at our car. It was, it was quite a cool experience. And I really enjoyed that. I really did. I imagine if you did that same trip now, it'd be a hell of a lot easier in terms of infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah i i've talked about it i've, I've talked about that because um like the charging speeds have got so much quicker um you're talking what 200 uh, anywhere between 150 and 250 kilowatt charging now and the battery ranges of 200 250 miles you know it's mm. yeah, it'd be t it'd be almost too easy and uh, there's a lot of trips i've looked at <laughs> to be honest with you a lot of trips i've looked at doing and i thought nah that, that's actually too easy it's actually a lot easier and for a lot of people it probably wouldn't be easy but for me i always look and go that's a bit too easy i'm not going to give that a go okay so moving on there's this is something i'm really excited to talk to you about because recently on the podcast we had uh, kinging it which is a, a travel creator couple and they talked yeah. about their mongol rally experience <laughs> and the challenge yes. things like cars breaking down <laughs> low bridges like it was really interesting chat You've also completed the rally, but in an electric car, the first ever electric car to enter the Mongol rally, and likely for good reason. <laughs> How was it? It's, I always, I always say, I've said this a few times, but it's, it was the most amazing nightmare. 
it was wonderful in every way in terms of because your obviously your other guests will have said it's it's such a most such an eye-opening experience mm. doing the Monga Rally. It is a true adventure. And if you choose to do it the right way, not to just thunder through countries and try and get to a finishing line, if you go and really immerse yourself in it, you mm. learn so much about yourself as an individual. You learn so much about the countries that you go through. And obviously you have some amazing stories to tell people, but you also have some really, really <laughs> scary. I mean, I mean, we did what we did what we did, which was which, yes, first electric car to ever do it. But there's some of the stories we heard from the other teams and the guys probably shared with you is like some of the st- score stories are scary. It's something I would recommend to people if they're if they're looking at it but just take an electric car. <laughs> One of the things that stood out to me when speaking to King in it was the list of obscure countries that they visited that perhaps they wouldn't have visited had it not been for the rally itself. So Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan and the like. Yeah. Of the countries which you visited during your time in the rally, which was your favourite? Without a doubt, Kazakhstan. Mm. Okay. It's, it's absolutely, I mean, we, we were in, a, we were in a, a slightly different position to other teams. So a lot of teams will take the route um, where when they get across into Turkey, they'll then go into Iran mm. and they'll go into all the stands, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan. We were in a situation I planned from start to finish. I planned the whole rally, the whole expedition, the whole everything in three months because I was I was basically speaking to the Monga Rally for about on and off for about two, three years trying wow. to make this work and see if it's possible and see if I can enter. And then when I got the situation where my company was, was offering out redundancies, I thought, you know what? This hobby is going to become is going to become my life, mm. and that's when I took the redundancy. I put everything into the rally, and and I bought a car, the Nissan Leaf, and and away we went. So when we drove through, we I was on the time restraint of wanting to get to the finishing line to get that picture to show we finished the the trip, the rally mm. in the same kind of time as petrol and the other cars. So we took the full route through Kazakhstan, and not many teams do that. Some do, but that country is by far for me the most underrated country going it's got wow. obviously mm. a popular stigma attached to it which i'm not gonna not gonna <laughs> bring up but um as a, as a country it is just it is just phenomenal it really is and the diverse side from the west to the east it, it really is a, a truly wonderful country and by far i'd love to go back there and adventure around there a lot more Tell us a little bit more about Kazakhstan. What is it that makes it so great? Do you have any particular experiences that you, you had when you were there? Yeah, I mean, uh, when we were, if if you imagine the West side is basically what traditional, what people traditionally think of Kazakhstan, because when I spoke to friends, they were saying, you're going to Kazakhstan. That's just like horse and cart country. There's nothing else there. And it's dirt roads. And effectively, the West side was basically dirt roads. The tarmac mm. that's there is all chewed up and massive potholes and you basically can't drive on it. So you just drive on the fields beside the road and they are, they are doing that area up. But to be honest with you, that was, that was the fun part of it. Mm-hmm. So as we're driving through the West, as we're driving through the West side, it was the only country where I basically got in contact to make plans um, through a friend of a friend of mine who is in Kazakhstan, who has connections within the Kazakhstan government. I know that probably sounds very mafia-ish and all this kind of stuff, but <laughs> I reached out to him and he got in contact with the local postal service and petrol company in Kazakhstan. And these guys basically said, look, we'll install chargers, basically a two-pin plug, in all of our petrol stations, post offices throughout Kazakhstan, because in that country, you literally have hundreds of maybe 200 miles between a town. In mm. some cases, maybe mm. four or 500 miles between towns. And in between then, you've just got basically petrol stations or roadside cafes or little, um, what we found was like a hostel on the middle, on the side of a road. And that was it. And that was the next thing for another 150 miles. So it was mm. traveling through that side. We, um, we got support from these people, but as well as that, we also got the, local government that got in contact with us and said right we're going to meet you at the border at the the ferry port we're going to we're going to take you to as a police escort through the west side of kazakhstan for wherever you're going and they we would pull up into a town put the car in charge at at a petrol station there and then a whole entourage we had this whole entourage of the local mayor the photographers, videographers, TV crew, and then the local high high ranking officials and they would take us for a tour around their town, sports facilities and everything, just to show off what they had in this in this town, hmm. and then take us for a full banquet dinner. 
and then wow. we'd be put back in the car and we'd be on our way again and that when we were that was pretty much from town to town to town in kazakhstan so the, in that west side that was just phenomenal for driving through that dirt terrain and and we we're talking 35 38 degrees in the car we can't use the aircon because it impacts battery range we mm. couldn't put the windows down because the cars that were, and trucks that were passing us were chucking dirt up into the air um, and the car just would just get full with pumes of uh, dirt. It just became such a, a, a great experience and combination of heat, nightmare, wanting to get to the next destination. But when we got there tired and drained, these people, these lovely people met us and just lifted our whole day and our mood mm. just changed completely. And we were ready to fire on and, and, and go on our next drive. It was great. Amazing. I mean, the, the whole rally, we're talking 10,000 miles that you, yeah. you're doing in an electric car. As you've mentioned, some pretty remote locations, crazy sort of terrain you're traveling on. On top of what you've just described there, you must have some memories that you draw back to when you think, you know, Mongol Rally, it's a, in kind of things that really stick out. Yeah, I mean, there's... Uh, Kazakhstan always sticks out um, in, in terms of everything that happened. There was so many things that happened there. But another country that's, that sticks out is Turkey. Okay. Mm. To, to put it into perspective for people, we, when we drove across Europe, we were okay for charging infrastructure. Europe has a really robust charging infrastructure, so we were fine. But as soon as we basically hit Turkey, we were relying on uh, basically strangers to give us access to a two-pin plug and plug our car in during lunches for about three, four hours, basically, wow. and then drive on as far as we could until we slept for the night. So Turkey was literally, it was beg, steal and borrow from wherever we could. We were driving through a town and we got to this town and we thought, right, I had mapped every 80 to 90 miles. And so I knew there was a town or a, a building or something that had power and we just had to turn up and go, hi, can we... <laughs> plug in um in a language that you know in english and they all and they were all speaking turkish so that was yeah that was it was good fun when you dangle a cable at people and point at the car they kind of they got they got the picture but we we pulled up at this one place and this 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 old guy we were chatting to him said, yeah yeah and he, in the end he says yes 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 come in and he gave us access to a two-pin plug and this was a tractor showroom so we were right. like and the guy wow. was like pulled up some tables and chairs he got his little nephew who could speak a bit of english he started getting out tea and biscuits and cakes and we just sat down and we sat down for about basically three hours and just sat with this, chatted with this old guy who then phoned his friend, who then phoned another friend and they all came around to speak to these mad crazy wow. Scots people who were driving an electric car across their country and, and we were plugged in. They all thought it was hilarious. We were plugged into their plug um, <laughs> and then suddenly they called a reporter and a reporter turns up and that transponded throughout the whole of Turkey. We were scared about traveling through Turkey because it was very much during that time where it was a lot of political unrest. And we thought, mm. how's Turkey going to go, you know, and, and everything. But again, it just, that just opened our eyes at that point. And it carried on through uh, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan of just how lovely people are and how we have such a negative impression of how people are in these countries and me based on what it was in the media at that time mm. we, we were really scared about turkey and we got to turkey and found nothing to be scared of the people were lovely and just as kind as what we are often mm. the case isn't it it's sad to hear yeah. often the case it, it is it's a recurring theme that we always hear on this podcast is that it's always what makes a country special is the people that are from it so is that what you took away from the trip absolutely i mean and and i i i actually really felt really bad and and um just to, just to point, I mean, I, I, I say we a lot when I talk about the rally and it's because my, my co-driver was my wife. Mm. She joined mm. me on the, on the, on that expedition. And we, we felt really bad at one point traveling through Turkey because I used car dealers because the synergy with cars and electric. And I thought these guys will you know be nice and they'll think we've car car guy will help him mm. out. And, and it worked. We went to a lot of car dealerships and they let us plug in and charge the car. And one in particular, while the car was charging, he took us up to the top of a mountain in Turkey. We'd looked over all the tea plantations, treated us to, to lunch. Everything took us for a tour around the city. It was really lovely. And when we got back, they gave us a presentation at the, um, at the dealership of some um, Turkish blankets, some Turkish tea and various things. It was in Risa in Turkey, which is mm -hmm. famous for its tea. And just before we went to the border. So we, and we thought it was amazing. But then about half an hour before the border, we thought, hang on a minute, we've got these boxes of tea. What happens if it's not tea? What happens if there's something else in uh -oh. there and there's going to be somebody waiting on the other side of the border? And these paranoia thoughts, because we're going into, you know, we're going into Georgia. Our paranoia was always when we went into, when we did board, proper border crossings that 
what happens if we've got something we shouldn't have? And although we knew we didn't, so we felt really paranoid about this. And then, you know, we phoned a friend, asked some advice. We checked all his tea. We opened it up and we checked tea and everything. And we saw there was nothing wrong. And we just looked at each other and went, wow, we're bad people. They were so kind. They were so lovely. Mm. But as we are as individuals, we, we were programmed to think about paranoia and, and how people are just out to basically, basically do one, do or do us over. Mm. And we realized at that point that, we should be more caring and kind towards people and, and trust people a lot more. And that, that was probably our biggest takeaway from the entire rally outside of doing what we did was basically trusting people a lot more and having faith in people. Hmm. So I wondered if we could talk now about some of the sites that you've seen on the trip. I read on a Top Gear article and he said to the ad stop every 20 miles. Top Gear said every 100 miles. I don't know where that came from. You must have seen some amazing sites, though, across your entire trip. Yeah. Is there a particular one which stands out? There's probably two. Um, the first one, and, and Top Gear is quite a good good app to point mm. for you to book because I, I stopped. We stopped at the Transfar Garrison Highway, or Garrison, I think it's pronounced, um, highway. Top Gear classed it as the greatest driving road in the world. Um, mm. And it's this twisty windy road that goes all the way up uh, to the top of a mountain and then all the way back down again and i completely forgot about this but when i heard people talking about it on the rally on the facebook groups a lot i was like what is this googled it i'm going <laughs> and, and i was taking the car up there my wife was like are you sure we're going to go up the side of this massive mountain in the side in an electric car in this car is it going to do it and we've got a 60 mile journey at the other end really and um, i says we're doing it regardless so <laughs> We did that trip. We went up. We got up to the top with about 49% battery um, after having 100% at the bottom. When we wow. went over the other side and got all the way down the bottom and out of the valley, we um, arrived at the bottom of the valley with 69% of charge left in the car. So yes, we actually we generated energy. So, <laughs> and we made it on the way. And then it was at that point, it was quite cool because my wife turned to me at that point and went, you know what? We can do anything now. We've just done that. But the Transfer Garrison Highway, Romania. Yeah, Romania was cool um, as a country, as driving through beautiful lush green and the Transfer Garrison Highway in there is is really cool. And then I guess when we we're in um, Russia, in Ulan-Ude in, in southern Siberia, mm. was Lake Baikal, um, the huge Lake Baikal that is. And that was that was a stunning, a stunning location to drive through. And it's, it's one of, again... Every time I see these places, I go, I've got to go back. I've got my eye on going back to there at some point because it's just, that was just a stunning uh, part of the world. Just for listeners that don't un understand, can you kind of in layman's terms, explain how you went from the top of a hill to the bottom of a hill with more energy yeah. than you started with? So basically an electric car has something called regenerative braking. So effectively, easiest way, there's a whole mechanics behind it. But basically when you take your foot off the accelerator, rather than you having to apply a brake to slow down, Effectively, think about the, the motor going in reverse and the friction from the motor is basically causing the car to slow down. And that then is converted into energy and put back into the battery. And that means when you finish going down the hill, you have more energy in your car. And stories like this that you're telling and the trips like you do, they do so much for educating people on, I guess, how capable electric cars can be. I know yeah. I'm a little bit biased, but I, I'm very <laughs> bored of the same myths and a lot of the questions about electric cars that I get asked since having one. Uh, so it's really great to hear about adventures like this that can be like, well, this, look what this guy did. So do you really worry about range anymore? <laughs> but you know, with it, with, even with examples like this and the amazing stuff that you've done, unfortunately, there is still a lot of resistance to the adoption of electric cars what would yeah. you say to those people uh, as someone that has pushed electric cars to their very limits and come out the other side what would you say to them the, the easy the simplest thing i always say to people is the the boundary to go electric is not the cars it's us mm. it's our mm -hmm. brains it's our minds it's as simple as that we have this ability to be able to reject change because well i don't want my life to be any different i do this every day of the week it's like well when you say to people but you want to go, you have to go to a petrol station every day. You have to go out of your way to fuel your car. Regardless if you do it once um, in a week, you have to go out of your way. Why do that? Why don't you just go home? Your fuel station's at home. It's there. So why go out of your way? And But people still have this reluctance to change. Um, and I just, I, I, I've said to some people, is like, kind of imagine if Bertha Benz mm -hmm. back in the day, decided that she wasn't going to like basically steal her husband's car and, and drive it to our sisters, which was only a couple of hundred, I think about 200 miles away, but she took a week or so to do it. And that proved the combustion engine. Mm -hmm. If she hadn't have done that, 
where would we be today with transport? We might not even be talking about combustion. We might just purely be talking about electric because electric was actually more popular than petrol back in that day as back in the day as well. So it's fascinating. So I just say to people, open your minds, go and try an electric mm. car. It's not as hard as what you think. Exactly. Well, you're convincing me, Chris. Oh, good. <laughs> good to hear it. Good to hear it. That's even before you even think about, you know, the environmental benefits, the pollution benefits. Yeah. You know, they're just purely the fact. Let's be honest. A lot of people's incentives is of either financial or ease, practicality, and they are practical. They're very easy. The fact that you can just plug them yeah. in at home, like you charge your phone overnight uh, and yeah. then you're off and you go. But the environmental benefit as well is is huge. So it's like... It's getting there, but it does still surprise me. People be like, oh, I don't know. I I can't do a 400-mile journey in one go, so I don't think I'm going to get one. When do you ever do a (laughs) 400-mile journey in one go? (laughs) But that's the thing is that that journey used to be 250 miles, then Mm. it was 300, then it's 400. And then you say to people, but you can do 400 miles because you just said you stop for the services because you maybe take a comfort Mm. break or whatever. So while you're taking that comfort break, you've plugged in. Oh, yeah, but really, yeah. It can't do 700 miles, can it? And you're like, <laughs> when's this going to end? Are always gonna, people are always <laughs> moving the goalposts. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing. It's kind of like when you do say to people, how often do you drive that 700 miles? Well, I may just need the opportunity to do it. And you say, well, I'll tell you what, buy an electric car. When you do need to do that 700 miles, if you need to do it in one go, because you're in that much of a rush, then hire a car. You've still done more for the planet mm. by having by owning an electric car. Before so. we move away from the Mongol rally and and this side of the podcast, I just one more question. Now, if you don't have this fact, this uh, stat to hand, then no worries. <laughs> but I'm curious if you do. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The amount you spent on charging for the 10,000 miles of the Mongolia. I know a lot of it was was kind of gratis when people do you favors mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but you know, do you have that amount to hand? Oh, that's a great question. I do. I do. Do you want to have a quick guess? Do you guys want to have a little you want to have a little competition so you can get the closest to it? Come on. Alex, I'm going to I'm going to put this on you because I feel like I've got a bit of an advantage a, a here. Bit. A bit. Okay. I'm knowing kind of yeah, how much this costs. So, Alex, what do you think? Right, 10,000 miles. Okay. Let, okay, before we do that, Chris, let's just try and figure out what the equivalent would be. Mm, that's a good way of thinking. Yeah. I, I can I can give you an indicator. I'll tell you how much. I, I'll give him a bit of a helping hand here. A combustion engine mm. car. So one of the one of the teams that was on the trip, they spent fifteen hundred euros. Wow. In fuel to do the okay. same trip. Wow. Okay. okay. Brilliant. I'm not even going to be in the right ballpark. I feel like I'm going to be miles off. <laughs> I'm going to go five hundred pounds. Okay. Cool. A um, hundred. Wow. A hundred pounds. <laughs> 10,000 miles, 100 pounds. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of when we had to pay for it, um, obviously, when we were driving driving from basically Turkey, 6,500 miles across to uh, Russia, we were basically just two pin plugs. 
what I will say as well is we always offered to mm. pay because we're in countries mm. where people, you know, in some areas where people didn't have much. You probably hear this on your podcast. They were the people that offered the most. Um, mm. They were so kind, but we always offered to pay people. We always paid for our, tried to pay for our food. If it wasn't uh, an actual services place, we always paid, tried to give the family food and money, money for food and, and electricity, but we never had anybody take it. When we were paying for charging infrastructure as well, it's a hundred, a hundred basically pounds for the entire trip. Mm. Amazing. That is incredible. I was just going to say, give you one other quick, quick quiz. Um, I've done, mm-hmm. I did 30 pre-lockdown. I did 35,000 miles in my um, electric car and just mm. Alex Harrell, how much do you reckon that cost me in fuel? This is with you paying for every mile, right? In the UK. Yeah. It is in the UK. Uh, let me get my calculator out very quickly and I'm going to work out how much this would cost <laughs> me to do. I think I think that would cost me in my petrol car around about seven thousand pounds. So I think by the same equation, I'm gonna say two thousand pounds. Cool, sixty-five quid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Bring it back to bring it back to everyday driving. I just I bring it back to everyday driving for a second. That's really useful, and it? it it's the way that you have to put it to kind of put it in layman's terms. But Chris, we want to move on now to talk about the big adventure yep. that's got you in the news recently: your pole-to-pole expedition, seventeen thousand miles, where you're hoping to travel across fourteen countries, I believe. So that's the headline. Yeah. But I wondered if you could expand on that for us and tell us what your adventure entails. Yes, I mean it's it's kind of a, a follow-on from the from the Monga Rally when you. You know, you guys talking about how, how to prove the perceptions of long distance travel and what EVs are capable of and how robust they are. I then kind of looked at, again, what, what are the myths? What are still the boundaries that are, are making people not go electric? And one of the things that then people say is the impact of, of cold weather on batteries. They're not good for cold weather. And we have obviously up here in Scotland, we have some lovely cold weather. So I, I gave that a bit of thought and I thought, what could I do? What could I do that could, that could next, that could do that? But also with mindful around um, the impacts we're having, again, of how climate change is, is accelerating, how I could then entwine that into stories around how people, how we're powering our world, the sustainable um, projects that are going on around the world. And, and I looked at that and thought, polar, I've always... I've always had this thing about going polar. Mm. I've always had a fascination with Antarctica. Hmm, is that possible? And I and I looked at it and I looked at that and researched it a bit more. Researched into the impacts of battery battery impacts at minus thirty degrees, mm. and I thought nobody's ever gone from pole to pole. Nobody in history, in any form of vehicle, has gone pole to pole in a in in a vehicle. I thought hmm. So four years ago, I started researching and and kind of planning and mapping. I realized that this was possible because I don't just come up with an idea, obviously, and go, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fly up the top of, of, uh, of Everest, <laughs> you know, on, with some wings. And I think I can do it. I'm, you know, I, I obviously it's calculated as well as strategy behind it and planning behind it. So I looked at that and went pole to pole is possible. Like I say, four years of basically planning, I was able to announce, um, just recently that I'm going to do it. So we, we will drive from the South pole through, <sighs> Uh, the guts of basically a thousand miles through Antarctica and and we need to find our own which we're working with partners just now but coming up with our own portable and innovative innovative charging solutions for that because obviously there's no civilization there no way of charging and then we will travel from the southern tip of South America all the way through the South America Mexico North America Canada and eventually finishing up at the magnetic North Pole in the Arctic amazing incredible yeah and that's all going to happen in within four months that sounds like an absolutely incredible incredible trip obviously highly highly ambitious and you know i I wouldn't even know where to start where did the the real idea for this stem from i know you said you linked it with the idea of uh, uh, electric cars being able to drive in the cold but you know there's one thing to go from that to go to what you're planning now (laughs) it's and again, it probably comes back to a point earlier on. It's it's just how my brain works. I I must be I must be wired a completely different way. And I guess if you, I've I've obviously been very fortunate in in with everything I've done. I've I've got quite connected within the adventure world. And when I speak to other people, like other adventurers, like there's Mark Beaumont, the Guinness World Record holder, who's circumnavigated the 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 globe on his bike. I think these guys just they get it because I, I just think there's maybe a potential way that we're wired slightly differently that we see mm. what's seen as impossible. Mm. We just see that as well. 
like, it's just a challenge. Let's just go and we know it's possible. Let's just, let's just make it possible and show people how it's possible. I, I mm. don't think even with this, I'm pushing it far enough. I, I, I know it's a mm. challenge. I know it's the, me and the team that are on it. We are going to be putting, I'm, I'm putting their life at risk. Um, mm. We're driving on sea ice in some of the areas in, in the Arctic. A lot of it's sea ice. So there's risk that we could fall through the sea ice. I'm putting people's lives at risk. So, but I still don't sit there and think this is the furthest I could push it. And as you said, you're the first person in the world to attempt something like this, which is a very cool thing to be able to say. And obviously the reason that you've alluded to that you're doing it is amazing as well. So talk to us a little bit more about those underlying underlying reasoning and the hopes uh, for the adventure in terms of climate change and getting people aware of reducing their carbon footprint yeah so i mean a lot of people will look at it and think potentially this is just a guy feeling his desire to be the world's first person to do this because he's the world's first person to do all these mm. other things and and the point a to point b is yes it's a great story and and the reality is that's what captures people's hearts and imaginations and the way I look at it is it opens their minds up to taking on board the messages that I can then portray to them during through everything else that I do. A couple of elements to it. One of the legacy things we're trying to push through this with our partner Arctic Trucks. These guys have been running expeditions in Antarctica and the Arctic for about 20 years now. And, and they're going to be modifying modifying our vehicle and they're helping us plan those elements we're actually educating them about electric mobility. Mm -hmm. And the plan is to get them to transition their basically diesel fleet of of vehicles to electric in Antarctica, the most, the environments that we're trying to leave as untainted as possible because the scientists are using that for research. So why are we not doing it with electric? So we've we've got a plan after this to kind of, this is to showcase and then try and help them transition to electric mobility, or even if it's hybrid or or eventually go into full electric for their fleets. But through South America and North America, we're tying in with a number of conservation projects, sustainable energy projects uh, along the way to showcase to people, one, the impact that we're having on these regions and we're having on, on our planet, but two, exactly how we're powering our world and how our world and our lives can be more sustainable. There's projects in, in, in Chile, for example, that schools that are basically decided, we don't like our town, our village being as dirty as what it is. We're, we're cleaning up the streets and the school, the kids go out and then the teachers go out and start cleaning the streets of rubbish, cleaning the riverbanks. And they're trying to promote to the, to the, the adults a more way of sustainable, sustainable life and looking after their town and their village. And, mm. and for me, that's the kind of stories we're going out there to tell. But also from a bigger, wider education perspective is showing people exactly how renewable energy from hydro, wind, solar, how that powers our world and how that energy goes into our cars, goes into our lives and makes our life more sustainable. Fantastic. So I want to talk now about the planning of the trip because you alluded to it earlier, the route that you were hoping to take South America into Mexico, into North America. It would be an incredible trip, regardless of the fact you're going to attempt to do it in an electrical vehicle. So on that route, where are you hoping to visit and what are you looking forward to seeing most? There's, there's so many. I mean, if, we, we t- if you talk about bucket lists, there's so many things you could tick off in there. We're going into Andes, Patagonia, the Amazon rainforest. Santiago, a city of Santiago, there's so many things you can tick off in there. So, but I'm, I'm really, what I am really looking forward to is, is the Andes going into that region. Obviously, yes, you're up in the mountains. I love being, being in Scotland. (laughs) We're coming into it guys being in Scotland. (laughs) I, um, I love getting out into the mountains. I love getting into the wilderness. So the Andes is just going to be mind boggling for for a couple of different reasons the impact mm. it's going to have on the vehicle and the challenge we'll have there but just camping and sleeping and and enjoying being up in in that region and the wildlife and the scenery it's just going to be mind-blowing it, it really is and it's 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 literally it is literally bucket list off me it really is absolutely mm. and you've talked about some of the highlights you're, you're likely to experience in terms of locations and scenery that sort of thing but what sort of challenges do you expect to come across? I guess the challenges for me is literally, it's, as everybody would, would, would think it is, it's Antarctica, it's the Arctic, because they mm. are completely unknown. We, we are mapping, uh, well, I say we, Arctic trucks are mapping that area pretty much on a daily basis with regards to Arctic sea ice and the thickness of sea ice. And we'll be mapping that all the way up. They'll be doing that all the way up until the um, pretty much the day that we're in the, the Northern Arctic. Um, because things are changing so dramatically. But when we're in those regions, 
we have some charging solutions again, which we'll be announcing soon, but we don't know what the weather conditions are going to be like. We don't know if it's going to be suitable to the charging solutions that we've created. It, it, it will be, but to what level is it going to be enough to generate the energy that we need within a 10 hour period or seven hour period, or we're going to have to spend 24 hours sitting there um, because suddenly mm -hmm. we don't have um, enough sun. We don't have enough wind. We don't, you know, and, and it's things like that. So that is probably the biggest challenge because South America, North America, Canada, I'm not phased by in the slightest. It's um, that is going to be very much where we're just immersed in the culture and the people, if I'm being completely honest. Okay, so moving on to some more general travel talk, um, you know, aside from these amazing adventures you've been on, I'm sure you've done plenty of holidays and other trips as well that we'd yeah, like yeah. to get into. So first of all, can you tell us your favorite city and why? Favorite city, um, without a doubt, Tokyo. Okay. <laughs> Tokyo, it's, I mean, it probably comes up with a lot of people, but Tokyo is such, it's got something for everybody. And even if you spend two weeks there, you don't even scratch surface of what it's got mm. to offer it's such a mind-boggling city but it's got so much going on so much vibrant um and like i say when you see all the uh the people that are there there's so many different collectives of people and it just it's it's so vibrant i love it. it it really is and and the people again the people are just they're just so lovely they're so polite and kind it's there i mean mm. tokyo just blew me away um we traveled a bit of japan during that time but tokyo was just oh just blew me away walking through sky rises um we got we met a local and we were just we we're looking around and you're looking at street level but when you look up and you've got all these obviously these towering buildings this local took us to this to this building we went up to the seventh floor the lift opened up and it was like an asian hawker stall like street it was just all these just these wonderful hawker stalls there and people were just cooking loads of food street food on like the seventh floor of a, of a multi-story building. It was really oh, wow. bizarre because we just sat there and had a beer and had these noodles and pancakes. It was, it was great. And I thought Tokyo is just mad. It really is but great. <laughs> Lovely city. Lovely city. Tokyo is incredible. And Japan in general is obviously a very futuristic place that is ahead of its time, yeah. essentially. Do you think that's why you felt so at home, Chris? Uh, I guess in a way, but I guess they just accept, they accept, you know, they accept everybody, everybody for what they are, you know, and they, they, they're mm. such an accepting culture. And I think that's what it is. But I think, again, I think in Japan, you, you then leave the city and within well within about an hour or so on the bullet train you're then into just complete wilderness and it's and it's mm. a beautiful landscape we were we were fortunate to stay in um a traditional japanese um accommodation just near uh, mount fuji and when you open your window and you see that i mean and then you can just mm. an hour later you can be in the madness and craziness that is tokyo it's it's just uh, it's great it's yeah it's a, it's a lovely country lovely country amazing i loved hearing you talk about kazakhstan because of course it's quite an unknown quantity so to follow on from yeah. the city question do you have an underrated city for us yeah I mean, and it, and it basically goes to Astana, the capital city, because it's all, I guess, it's all around the country being underrated and the city of Astana, um, which is now Nur Sultan, I believe. Um, and, and that is, again, you go into the city and it's, it's just desert, it's dust and you drive and you it's just, you know, there's nothing. It's like wasteland and suddenly you're confronted by, a bit like Dubai, you're confronted by these sky rise buildings and and beautiful massive shopping mm. malls which is you know which are amazing but then you turn down to a couple of little side streets and you've got these little boutique kind of restaurants and cafes and little pubs and and it's just there's such a vibrant feel about it and and i guess nobody would ever think i'm going on holiday where where are we going to go on holiday today love oh, i'll tell you what let's go to kazakhstan mm. we'll go to astana and nobody's <laughs> ever going to think that but i think they should do because it was just it was a beautiful place and maybe mm. i just think that because of the experience we had from the rally but I think I definitely think it's underrated, and I, and I would I would I would go back there in a heartbeat. Great to hear, great to hear. Have you ever visited somewhere, a city or or otherwise that you thought you know what I could really live here? There's there's two two answers to that question. Scandinavia always comes up. Scandinavia, I love I love that. I love being in being in Oslo, being in Helsinki, and places I could absolutely live. Again, it's it's just down to the the people, the vibrance of the areas. It's just lovely. And again, Scotland. I, I, I'm living in probably one of the best countries. Mm. And if I if I move and I want to relocate, I'm probably just going to relocate to somewhere in this country because we are fortunate to have 
great cities, but access to great outdoors and beautiful scenery and some of the best driving roads in the world as well. If we, absolutely. Mm. Uh, Chris, we're going to need you to hook us up with some Scottish tourism <laughs> networks. <laughs> yeah, we, the unbelievable amount of free promotion on this podcast. <laughs> I think the pandemic situation we've got, I mean, it's we've got the opportunity to explore our own country and we've got so much to offer. We really do. There's amazing countries mm. around the world, obviously, but we've got so much in our own back door. It's yeah. great. You alluded to it earlier when you spoke about how excited you were to visit the Andes, but obviously after picking Tokyo as your favorite city, I'm curious to know, do you prefer cities or more rural destinations? I'd say rural destinations. I will. It, and, it, and it is bizarre when I, I'm, I, I do like the city. I do think some of the cities are really cool, but they are novelties for me in a way. Um, and I, I just, I love being outdoors. I, I really do. Mm. It's the outdoors is, is probably the best thing for me. And, and that's why one of our trips we did uh, was to Borneo and it was mm. all centered around going and going to the orangutan sanctuaries, going to the turtle conservation projects. So me and my wife went over to, flew over to Borneo to do that. Um, and we were basically just effectively just sleeping in tents on on the turtle on turtle island um as part of the conservation Mm -hmm. project we were sleeping in hostels at the foot of mountains it was just that that's more us getting out there backpack getting out into the wilderness is is more us that's definitely an underrated destination for me Mm. borneo the island borneo Borneo. even uh, you know regardless of i've done the sabah side the malaysia side and the brunei side and all of them completely blew blew me away. Yeah, definitely. Sabah was where I was. Um, mm. That was it. Was just it, yeah. It was it was beautiful, unbelievable. Um, and we were at the foot of Mount Kinabalu. Yes. So we were there, and yeah, it's yeah that is it's a beautiful beautiful country. And again, elements of beautiful countryside, beautiful people, beautiful food. It's a great combination. What more could you Absolutely. want? Absolutely. So now is the sign of the podcast. We're probably going to hear the words Scotland. <laughs> So, Chris, <laughs> what is your favourite country in the world and why? <laughs> Are you being sponsored if I say this? But no, um, it is. I mean, <laughs> I'm very obviously I'm very patriotic about Scotland because I just think we we are fortunate to have what we have mm. here. But if if I go, what is the? F- I'm going to go probably a region rather than a country because I love Asia mm. as a region. If, if I'm being honest. So if I have to not talk about Scotland, <laughs> but no, it's, um, it's, it's Asia. Yeah, no, Asia, Asia as a region is, is something that I absolutely love. Traveled there a lot. Um, would love to continue going back there cause it's got so much to offer, but yeah, Asia, absolutely Asia and Scotland, obviously. If you had to pick somewhere that comes close though, outside of Asia, outside of Scotland, is there anywhere else that's really stood out for you? Canada. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, I, uh, Part of my traveling, we went to Canada and we went to a little town called Banff in Canada. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, mm. it's, I class that as the, uh, a little sleepy town in Canada. It's known for its snowboarding, um, and, and action sports, but the town was just, that was just beautiful. It was a beautiful little picturesque town. And you, you walk out of the, the supermarket and you've got moose or elk. I, people are going to correct me which one it is, but just mm-hmm. walking around in the car park, these just massive beasts just standing there staring at you when you come out of the supermarket. And I, I, I loved that. I was blown. I loved it. I was blown away by Banff. Um, I could live there, if I'm being honest. I could live there. Canada is, you know, probably not often enough referred to as uh, you know, North America, Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> 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 We're just thinking of new ways to do it up now. <laughs> it's... it's, uh, it's it's been so long since I've been there. Um, and, and I'm actually, that is genuinely what I'm looking forward to on pole to pole as well is being back in Canada. Amazing. Before we, before we transition on to our next category, which you like to talk about, which is food and drink. I want to do a deep dive on that Asia continent because we can't let you move on without picking an individual country from within Asia. So which is your favorite? I would, I would have said, I would have said Borneo a little bit, but I'm going to go into Malaysia mm. because we've had mm. some pretty cool experiences in Malaysia. And, and one of those being, um, we went to an island called the Perinthian Islands. And mm. uh, the Perinthian Islands in Malaysia was when we were traveling through there, we were in KL and it was during the time where there was the, the smog in KL. And we met, a, mm. met another traveler and he just said, look, you should go to the Perinthian Islands. It's really beautiful. So we, we went there on... A local bus who dumps you in the middle of nowhere and then just drives off and then another bus just randomly peers, pick, turns up and picks you up and then dumps you in the middle of nowhere again and you, the journey continues and to get until you get to this boat that takes you to an island and and the cool this is the daftest little thing but the coolest thing for me was 
I've seen this in the in the films and programs, and I've always wanted to do it. But you get on this boat, you get to the side of the island, but you can't actually go to the beach in the boat. So you've got to grab your bags and jump into the water and wade through the water with your yes. backpacks. And I thought, yeah, I'm proper adventuring. And and that was just <laughs> it's just the little things that kind of make me smile. And we went there, and this island, middle of nowhere, just couple of locals have hostels and, and B&Bs there and you just live on this island for big. We were there for two weeks, just sunning it, enjoying it, and then learning to dive. And that's what I loved about it because we learned to dive, um, scuba Amazing. dive in, in that island. And and again, mm. Malaysian food, randang. At the time, beef randang, no beef for me anymore. And But that beef randang and, and roti bread and things like this, that was just... Oh, I, I loved it. I was in my element. M- Malaysia is a, maybe it's not underrated, but M- Malaysia is a great location to yeah. go to because it's so culturally diverse as well. Mm. It's really, really interesting as a place and does have like amazing beaches and islands, like you said, yeah. incredible, incredible highlands as well. Yeah. You know, I went to the tea region in the Cameron Highlands. Yeah. People think Malaysia and think KL. Yeah. And, it, and it's, there's so much more to it. There is so much more to it. You're right. Sweet. So it's lovely to hear you talk about the befriendang. You mentioned now that it's no longer something you would enjoy, but would you consider yourself a foodie? Yeah, I mean, I think a foodie mm. in general. I mean, it's. Um, I wouldn't say I'm I'm a, a food critic in any way, shape, or form. But yeah, no, I I I'm like most people. I love my food, and and I'm a big fan of curries, and mm. and that's everything from Indian to Malaysian to Asian, just the different influences. I pretty much eat anything. Is is pretty much the way I go. <laughs> especially coming from and i'm bringing in again especially coming from scotland where we eat sheep's innards so in, yeah. in haggis so I'll, I'll eat anything and um yeah i mean and again that's what probably links me back into travel because wherever we go we get to experience new foods it's helpful to have a kind of um not too fussy palate yeah. as well when you're doing the sort of travel you're doing in remote areas but yeah. in the places that you've experienced where would you say is the best country for food go straight back to asia i've got to say i mean there's there's Again, mm. as you were alluding to, Saunders or saying was the the different influences in different regions. So you can go to one part of Malaysia and get get some food, get some rendang and various curries, but go to another part of Malaysia and find that the same food has got a different. They've got curries, but with a different influence into it. So Asia um, is basically is just for me is the, probably the best place in the world for food. Lovely stuff. So let's do a deep dive again and try and find an individual dish i imagine it's going to be from asia which is your favorite dish from your times traveling well i don't i don't think we've mentioned scotland yet so i'm just gonna but no um, <laughs> I, um it's yeah i mean it's beef i'm i'm a i was i was really a fan of beef randang beef that was my thing when i was in mm. when i was in malaysia beef randang roti bread and and it's just doing it the traditional way it's just your hands in there with the rice and the randang and mixing it up and the roti bread and just basically just scooping it into your mouth it was it was great it was a great i loved it it was a great experience so beef randang has got to be my favorite dish um and like i say now minus beef yeah yeah so someone with as much travel and adventure experience under your under their belt as you have this might be a difficult question to answer (laughs) of all of that all of that wealth of experience is there a trip or adventure that's meant the most to you I'd probably say, and and this it, it falls back into the um, the Borneo trip, and it, and it was a couple of different. It was a couple of different things. It wasn't necessary to do all the conservation element to it. It was just there was it was going there and experiencing that trip, and experiencing and meeting the uh, the orangutans and turtles, and being a part of that, which just meant so much to me because it was it was cool in a way to basically be able to see those those animals and know that you, there's a difference being made or I'm, I'm i was playing a part in a little bit of a difference but mm-hmm. one of the things that made it a little bit more special was um was when we were coming through we're coming through a cave region where we're basically going to see where where the birds nests are in 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 borneo and when we're coming back from the cave me and my wife and a friend um on that trip were just talking walking we we just it's it's like a movie set it was kind of like so wouldn't it be cool if we just you know we just saw an orangutan just now because there's, there's apparently some in the in the area and we literally the the walkway veered to the left and then veered to the right and as it veered to the right there was a mother with a baby just standing there right on the walkway literally about wow. five meters in front of us amazing and and that for me just that just made that whole trip it's ingrained in my in my head because that was just such a magical moment to see 
that in real you know in real life and not in a conservation project or not in a in a in a sanctuary to see it in the wild it gave me a good feeling to see that sounds incredible and i think a lot of the things you've spoken about so far have been incredible so we need to come crashing down to earth and talk about the negative side of travel because i'm sure you've experienced it chris it can't all be good so is there a place in the world that you would never go back to oh, i'm i'm going to be really I've, this is i'm going to be really bad here because like i don't think there is i've had situations in places where i think never want to go there and never want to have that experience again but i don't think i would ever not go back mm. to a place because when you go somewhere you only go to that particular area and and everywhere's got a bad area that's not very good you know and you think wouldn't mm. go back there again but you'd maybe go back into a into another part of the city so i don't think i, I honestly as much as it's bad to say i don't think there is I, I think i think everywhere's got something to offer um, you've just got to find it. You've just got to look harder. But like I say, there's, there was a, an area, mm. uh, there's, I wouldn't go back to a, the Russian border, the Russian, the Russian Finland border ever again, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. So that's that kind of thing, just because of an experience that you have, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go back to that specific area mm. for that because of that, but I would go to, an, I would still go to the town or the city in another area. It's a very positive outlook to have on travel, which mm. is good. Keep your options open to visit places again and, and almost get, give it a chance to, to prove you wrong if you've had a bad experience, which is uh, important. So aside from the adventures and the big projects, when you go away just for you know a short break or a little holiday, do you tend to go to places more than once? Yeah, I mean, we've, I mean, not to bring, if we go for a short break, I mean, we've been to different parts of the UK um, quite a few times. We've been to York a few times, we've been to Bath a few times because we find those cities are really lovely. Scotland, we go to Edinburgh um, quite a bit. And so we, we, we love that as a city because, again, there's always so much to explore and you can only touch on it over a course of a couple of mm. bits of it over a course of a day. So we don't, we don't have problems going to places multiple times, but I guess. If we're going long distance, we'll always try to go to somewhere new. Um, so we we experience something something new on that, on that trip. Talking of experiencing something new, just before we uh, get to the end of this section, I don't want to move on through this section without getting a hidden gem from Scotland. As someone who loves the country so much, <laughs> and all of our listeners, I know they've heard it from us before, but I'm sure they'll be intrigued and excited to hear of somewhere new. So maybe somewhere Great that's shout. in Scotland which people should go to this summer if they're not able to go abroad? I would probably say, and it's going to be a bit probably logical for some people, but Isle of Arran. Okay. Go to the West Coast. Go to the West Coast because go by going there, you're going to have the most amazing drive in your life um, and see some of the most spectacular scenery. And when you go there, head over to the Isle of Arran. It's, um, it's, it's such a beautiful little island. You can get around it in a day. But there's so many there's so many cool things that are on the island to offer, from the distilleries to the local farms to basically the local produce that are there, and just the people. Again, I mean, we're not all cranky Scots people. We are, you know, lovely and opening and welcome people. Um, and the you know the, the the people on the islands are so so lovely and so welcoming. So Isle of Arran is is a place I would definitely make a beeline for. Incredible. Well, that's added to my summer bucket list for sure. <laughs> and on bucket lists. You must have the most incredible and crazy bucket list, I'm going to call it, out there. <laughs> so of everyone we've ever spoken to, I can imagine this is going to give us a unique answer. So what sits right at the very top of your bucket list, Chris? I'm going to be ticking some of them off. So it's, it's kind of like um, Machu Picchu has always been on my bucket list. Mm. I've never been. So mm. I'm, 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 I'm hoping, fingers crossed, time, time allows, I'll be able to tick that off as part of this trip part of pole to pole but then so if we then flip to that and say well i've ticked off some of those bucket list things because of the pole to pole trip i'm doing mm. the next thing that probably falls to the top of that um is is everest i love mm. i just we've uh we'd love to do base camp Amazing. i'd love to do base camp but then it's it's that theory of like mm. my wife always says to me well if we go to the base camp we may as well go to the top and i'm like you really and then you, I think I, I think I found my point where I'm kind of going. Really? Do we you know? Do we just cut it at that point? Maybe? And she's like, No, mm. we, we've got to go to the top. So we'll see. But Everest, Everest, but Everest Base Camp at least is something that's that's firmly on my my bucket list. You're talking to someone that's about to go to Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where do where do you go from there? Yes. <laughs> like, amazing, amazing yeah, stuff. And I, I, I consider myself so fortunate because I, I say it quite blasé in the fact that yeah, we're going to Antarctica, we're doing this, and and I don't want people to think that I'm kind of like mm. some guy who can just go where he wants and he's, you know it gives that impression. Because I'm so fortunate to do what I do, and there's still, you know, I I don't do it lightly, and and I there's still the chance that this might not happen. You know, we, we're still 
planning this. We're still trying to make this happen. And if it is too damaging for the environment to go there, then we won't, we won't go there. But I'm just a guy who has a passion to do what he does. And if I can make it happen and make a little difference in the planet, I will do it. That sounds like a a fantastic sentiment to end on there. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. But before we leave you, just want to give you a chance to to promote yourselves and talk about Pole to Pole and let people know how they can keep up to date with your adventures. Yes, I mean, everything, all our Pole to Pole expedition will be shared through um, either through different social platforms. That's on Instagram, Twitter, the usual, and that's all at, at Plug and Adventure. Um, or people can visit the the pluginadventure.com website and we'll be sharing a lot of of material and educational material as we travel through the countries there as well. But yeah, I mean, I just hope that people will love what we're doing with with the pole to pole, will be engaged on it and will be empowered to make a different, make a small change in the little way that they can in their life and to help the planet. So thank you. Thank you. And thanks to you guys for having me on, mate. Guys, it's been so much fun. Pleasure's ours. Pleasure's ours. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure, Chris. Great to chat to you. What do you make of that, mate? Chris Ramsey, what a amazing person. I know, amazing person, amazing talker. Lovely to meet him as well. And without a doubt, the most adventurous episode we've come across so far. And we've just had King in it on. So that kind of says it all, really. I can't get my head around some of these adventures. Not the, not just the ones that he's he's done, but, you know, this pole to pole is mm. utterly... Like, when you got into it and you start thinking about the actual <laughs> risks that involve, not just mm. the idea of travelling you know, 17,000 miles, actually, pole to pole you know, driving on sea ice in an electric car. Like, where is he charging it? Do you know Uh, what I mean? It's a thousand miles of Arctic. Where is he charging it? It's going to be amazing. And I think what I like most about it is that he's trying to prove that if you can do that, you can do anything. So the barrier to entry of getting an electric car, nobody has an excuse anymore, myself included. Like, why wouldn't I get an electric car if Chris can drive pole to pole in one? It doesn't make any sense. Absolutely, absolutely. He's doing wonderful things for the industry, but also for the environmental reasons behind it as well, you Mm. know awareness of climate change and just really getting us to think about our our day-to-day lives what a guy what a guy absolutely mate and next week we have got pete donaldson from abroad in japan and football ramble fame an amazing guest an amazing episode so i'm sure people are going to absolutely love it love that looking forward to that one i love the football ramble and just for the people listening that one you did solo because uh, i was traveling at the time so i haven't even heard it so it's going to be news to me too i'm sure you're going to love it mate lots of japan talk in there surprise surprise Nice one. Look forward to hearing it. If you like this episode, guys, make sure to rate it, to review it, send us comments, send us what you thought about the episode. And of course, subscribe to the Travel Talks podcast so you can make sure you know exactly when we're uploading a new one. You don't miss anything. Come straight into your inbox. Lovely notification (laughs) and you're off. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.